Hello, Dizcasters. I hope you're all having a wonderful day. I hope you're all continuing to have a good week. So, today's episode... Ooh, I'm very excited about this one. Today's episode is all about The Great Mouse Detective. Now, The Great Mouse Detective is a movie that was based on a book series that was effectively just like... It was basically uh, Sherlock Holmes for kids with animals. Uh, it's based on a book series called Basil of Baker Street, which is convenient considering that the main character of this film is named Basil of Baker Street, or is named Basil. Uh, but we'll get into all that uh, momentarily. For now, I'm going to finish up with some of these uh, Disney headlines that I left hanging since the last episode. Uh, this first Disney headline has to do actually with uh, Fantasmic. If any of you are aware of Fantasmic, it's kind of like the night-ending uh, big spectacular aside from the fireworks show at the castle. Uh, Fantasmic is a wonderful little show with like Mickey and a bunch of other characters that kind of come in and stuff like that. It's really, really fun. Uh, it is super popular and uh, has kind of been undergoing a bit of like renos, I guess would be the word. Like it's, it's undergoing a bit of like a redo. Uh, and there's some rumors going around as to who the narrator is going to be. So currently, uh, there is a rumor going around that the narrator will be an actress by the name of Isla Fisher. Now, if you don't know who Isla Fisher is, if you look her up, you'll immediately recognize her. Uh, she's quite recognizable. She's married to Sasha Baron Cohen. She's been in a bunch of like um, comedies like uh, Confessions of a Shopaholic, Wedding Crashers. She was in Scooby-Doo. She was in Now You See Me. Uh, all three of them, apparently. She was in Rango. Uh, yeah, so she's got a hell of a, uh, what's it called, uh, of a resume behind her. Um, but it's definitely one of those things where it's like, if you look her, if you look her up and you see her face, you'll be like, oh, yeah, her. That's who that is. So, yeah, so that's who is uh, rumored to be taking over the, narrative, the narration of Fantasmic. Um, in general, I don't know. It's, I'm personally quite excited because Fantasmic, you know, is amazing. If you've never seen it before, you absolutely need to. Uh, it is uh, scheduled to be returning to Disney Hollywood Studios in 2022, so that's exciting. Um, there's also been reported that uh, one of, that the scene featuring Pocahontas will be removed from the show. Uh, I think that's just because of... Uh, you know, just perhaps a bit of tasteless uh, stuff that's kind of gone on in recent years. Like, you know, just with how, I don't like to use the phrase, but quote-unquote woke culture uh, is creating this hyper-awareness of things. I don't necessarily think it's bad that they have the scene with of Pocahontas. I think it just depends on the context and what exactly the depiction is. I'm not as familiar with the Disney World version of Fantasmic as I am with the Disneyland version. And I remember the Disneyland version doesn't have a Pocahontas scene. And it still worked fine, so it's fine. I would like to see Pocahontas in it, like just as a nice form of uh, representation, because that's always good. But I think it becomes questionable as to whether or not they can use indigenous actors. I mean, they can. Like that's the thing. It's like I feel like it's not hard to reach out to the indigenous communities and be like, "Hey, y'all want to work for this?" You know what I mean? Like indigenous actors aren't out of the realm of possibility there's definitely indigenous actors anyway that's a whole other thing that they can worry about personally i would love to see pocahontas scene and i would like to see it done well 
is what I'm saying. Okay, so that's that headline. Next headline is regarding to Disney Cruise Lines. Uh, they've kind of changed up a little bit of their uh, COVID-19 uh, test rules. Uh, basically, if you are fully vaccinated, you don't need to take a test uh, at the, um, what's it called? Like at the port. Uh, you can take a you can take the test no more than two days before your sale date. Those are those are applicable, and you can use a rapid antigen, uh, an NAAT, or a rapid PCR test, and that sort of thing. So those are all applicable. Um, yeah, but you need to upload it to a thing to like. I think you need to upload it to a to a website that like uh, indicates your your COVID status. So it's similar to how like when you're flying into Canada, you have this thing called the Arrive Can. Which is basically that. It's basically like a receipt dictating uh, your status for, um, of uh, your COVID status, basically. Uh, and if you are not vaccine eligible, so uh, in the case of kids who are uh, age four and under, that's where you must provide a negative test result taken no more than three days before your sale date. Uh, and these need to be the nucleic acid amplification tests and the rapid PCR test or lab-based PCR test. Rapid antigen tests will not be uh, accepted for these. Uh, guests who are not valid or vaccine eligible because of age are also required to take a second test uh, at the terminal before boarding. So if you're not, basically, if you're not vaccinated, you're going to be taking a bunch of tests, like including the one at the thing. And if you are, then you don't need to worry about this, basically the thing. So they're slightly loosening some of the rules for the Disney Cruise Lines, uh, which I think is great. Uh, it's just kind of moving in a nice positive direction. This last headline uh, is actually in re reference to what I mentioned in the last episode, the fact that Disney Plus is adding an ad-supported subscription uh, version. Uh, it looks like the plans to offer the ad-based option around the world will be in... Oh, no, the, around the world will be in 2023, but in the U.S., it'll be later this year. So, we'll see how that goes. I mean... Hulu and ESPN Plus already are ad-supported streaming services under Disney. So it's not like it's out of the... It, it's not like um, this is a first, and it's not like it's not really coming out of left field. I do like the fact that they are keeping the original option as well. The Disney Plus ad-supported option is part of the company's plan to reach 230 to 260 million subscribers by the fiscal 2024, and the pricing and launch date of the ad-supported plan will be available later. So that's the whole thing. Uh, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that it'll still, because their whole thing with it is that they want it to be affordable. They want to bring in more eyes. They want more subscribers and things. And hopefully this is going to be a way for people, you know, who can't really afford the higher, the higher, uh, ad free version. Hopefully, uh, people who can't afford the cheaper option, you know, will be able to get a chance to use it. Um, they did specify that for like, the preschool content and stuff like that, they will not be running ads on those across the board. Uh, they don't want it because I think they said something about the line, along the lines of like, they don't want to be uh, getting like mining, mining information for that kind of stuff because they don't need to. It's going to be going towards toddlers and children and, and young kids and stuff like that. So they don't need to, uh, or at least they don't want to. So that'll be, that's, that's sensible, I suppose. Um, like, yeah, I don't know. I kind of understand where they're coming from 
and I kind of see what they're what they're what they're doing, and I think they're just trying to find compromises. And you know, this is probably the best way to do it. But yeah, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. I I just like the fact that they're not making it across the board like uh, that everybody's going to be having ads. I do like that. So I'm just going to keep my normal subscription. Nothing's going to change with me, and nothing's going to change with mine. So yeah, that's really good. I like that. And that's kind of it for the major Disney headlines. So now we're going to jump into The Great Mouse Detective. Ooh. I'm just kidding. It's not scary at all. It's just, it's a fun, it's so fun. The music in this movie is so great. It is so fun. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, it is based on the book series Basil of Baker Street uh, by Eve Titus and Paul Galdon, uh, which is, you know, just basically just anthropomorphic mice version of Sherlock Holmes is basically what it is. <laughs> uh, you have your main character, Basil Rathbone, uh, who is effectively the Holmes equivalent, uh, which is interesting considering that Sherlock Holmes uh, mentions Basil as one of his aliases in one of the original Arthur Conan Doyle stories called The Adventure of Black Peter, which I think is really cool. Um, you have uh, Vincent Price is in this movie as Professor Radigan who is effectively the equivalent to uh, Professor Moriarty, uh, who fucking kills it. He knocks it out of the park in this movie. He does so, so good. It is amazing. Uh, Barry Ingham is Basil, uh, which is fun, considering that uh, Barry Ingham actually portrayed Sherlock Holmes in some of like the live-action BBC stuff. So I think it's very cool that they kind of brought him in uh, as to play another version. Um, who else is here? Uh, uh, Val Benton. I don't really know who he is, but he plays Dr. David Q. Dawson, who's effectively this version's, uh, uh, John Watson. Uh, he's like the John Watson equivalent. Uh, and that's about it in terms of like, um, uh, like, uh, uh parallel character. Oh no, sorry. Uh, Mrs. Judson, who is Basil's housekeeper, who plays Mrs. Hudson. Uh, who plays this version of Mrs. Hudson, which is very fun. Uh, and then, yeah. And then the, you'll see that there's a, in, in some instances of the movie, there's absolute references to Sherlock because the idea is that Basil lives in uh, 221, I think it's 221B and a half, which is, he, he basically lives like underneath 221 Baker Street, which is very funny to me, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So let's start at the beginning. So we start off with a cold open. Now we haven't seen a cold open. Oh no, we have seen a, we've seen a couple cold opens. So it's kind of a thing now, I guess, which is fine. I, I'm not mad about it. Uh, we see a little title, not a title card, but like a little like intro thing to tell, let us know we're in London in 1897. And we pan down to this teeny tiny little toy shop because this is where uh, uh, Mr. Flaversham uh, is a toy maker. So we go into his little workshop, and there we see uh, Olivia Flaversham and her father. Uh, we see her father working on some stuff, and it's apparently her birthday, and so he pulls out a little toy. It's very cute. It's a little, it looks like a little, like, uh, like, a, like a little flower that when he winds it up and uh, it opens up into this dancer, and she's loving it, and it's great, and it's adorable. Uh Fun fact, uh, Mr. Flaversham is voiced by the guy who had, up until this point, basically been uh, Scrooge McDuck. 
His name is Alan Young. Uh, he's been he's kind of the voice that we know as Scrooge McDuck. Uh, he played it in Mickey's uh, Christmas Carol. I don't know if he continued the role of uh, Scrooge McDuck into the DuckTales series, um, but currently this is the only one that we know. Uh, this is the only guy that we know who, uh, up until this point, has played uh, Scrooge McDuck. So we have Mr. Flaversham giving this toy to his daughter, but then from there we uh we get like this really creepy vibe somebody's trying to break into the thing and then the uh Hiram throws Olivia Hiram Flaversham throws Olivia into the like into a cupboard into like a little cupboard and then this like fight ensues because like this this movie so this movie scared me when I was younger because there are some jump scares in this film and the jump scares are provided by this creepy bat guy (laughs) It's like creepy uh, bat character who works for Radigan, and he just bursts into the freaking toy shop through the window, and it's got he's got like this giant grinning face, his giant teeth. He's fucking scary, man. Like, it's fucking scary. <laughs> it threw me when I was younger. Anyway, and so suddenly a big scuffle is happening, and then by the time everything's over, Olivia comes out, finds that her father's vanished. And so all we have is Olivia screaming into uh, into the darkness, screaming for her father. It's very sad. Now, title card. Great Mouse Detective. Comes in with the music. This music is freaking incredible. Uh, it's by Herrick, uh, Henry Mancini. Uh, Henry Mancini, uh, you would probably know. Uh, he's won four Academy Awards, Golden Globe. 20 Grammys, uh, as well as a posthumous Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award. Uh, he was 70 when he died back in 1994. Um, but in terms of other music, uh, for some reason, the name really does ring a bell for me, and I don't know why. He seems to have done quite a few things. Like, he did, uh, where was it? Uh, the Pink Panther. So the Pink Panther theme he is responsible for um a couple shows like tv themes he did like remington steel uh pink panther and pals the pink panther show uh tom and jerry the movie uh like i said before great mouse detective uh yeah like he had a hell of a career spanning like 40 years uh like breakfast at tiffany's he worked on that um, but I think the thing that I think I'm thinking of like Frank Mancini, I don't know. There's a Mancini Mancini is, is like ringing in my brain for some reason. And I don't know why, but he's responsible for this film's score. It is beautiful. It is wonderful. It is amazing. I love it. But basically we have this and then we we're kind of like a, getting a panning shot of London and then we hear a voiceover and this voiceover we discover is by uh, Dr. David Q. Dawson, as I mentioned earlier, is this film's version of uh, Dr. Watson. Uh, and it's basically him just kind of like narrating like why he's come to London and how he's from the 66th, 66th Regiment of the King, of the Queen uh, coming from Afghanistan. And this is actually very good because this is all actually how... 
uh, Watson kind of introduces himself. He was uh, like Watson within the story was a member of the of the Queen's Regiment. He did come back from Afghanistan, and he does actually narrate the stories. This the idea behind the Sherlock Holmes stories is that it, they're all made from the they're all written from the point of view of Watson, just kind of recording his time with Holmes. So to have this kind of narration at the top, and then later at the end when we have uh, there's a closing narration as well by what by uh, I was about to say Watson by Dawson. It's all very good and it all works really well with the homage to uh, Sherlock Holmes. So we have this, and he's talking about how he's coming in to uh, retirement from uh, from the army or from service, uh, and he's just trying to find a place to live. So while he's walking, he hears a bit of crying. He goes into like an old box and he sees Olivia and Olivia's like, I need to find Basil at Baker Street. And he's like, well, I don't know who the fuck that is, but let's go find him. They find him, of course, at 221B and a half Baker Street. Uh, but the cool thing was, was that uh, when they come to this shot, uh, they you get a shot of like the whole house and it's very cool. Um, you get a shot of... Uh, Sherlock playing uh, his violin, uh, which he famously did. Uh, and then they arrive at the house, and then we discover, oh, Sherlock's not there. And so instead, uh, Mrs. Judson uh, uh, comes in and uh, opens the door, invites them in. Uh, they hang out for a bit. Suddenly, there's a burst through the door, and there's this random uh, character there who's like a white mouse. I think he's supposed to be a little Asian-inspired. It's not the best representation, quite frankly. But then again, mid-80s, what can you expect? Uh, and we find out later it's actually Sherlock in disguise who's trying to find uh, a bullet match. And so he's running around. He's doing some tests and things. Um, finds out that the bullet is not matching the one that he had. So he's all bummed out. And while he's playing the violin, uh, Olivia basically tells him her story. And so reluctantly, he agrees. Uh, and they decide to head out because... Uh, Olivia described the henchman that kidnapped her father as a bat with a broken wing and a peg leg. And uh, Basil's like, oh, he works for Radigan, who's like my arch nemesis, you know, that kind of thing. And then we get a clip over to Radigan. We discover who Radigan is. Uh, funny thing is, is that in this movie, they made him an actual rat. But apparently in the story, in the actual book that this is based on, he's not. He's actually just a mouse. I don't know. I mean, like, I, I kind of like him as a rat. I think it works, especially because, like, when they call him a rat, he fucking hates it. So we're, we we cut to Radigan. We meet him. We find out that he kidnapped Mr. Flaversham in order to build, like, this automaton-type thing, which is insane considering that this is supposed to be in the late 19th century and you're building a full-on robot. Like, anyway, it's fine. It's like a clockwork robot. It's fine. <laughs> anyway. And so what happens is, this is what we discover. We discover this, and then he's, like, uh, you know, threatening Mr. Flaversham by making it being like, oh, if you don't do what I, what I say, then, you know, you're going to, we're going to hurt your daughter kind of thing. You know, that, that whole shtick. So he reluctantly works, uh, and then he goes into, like, his lair, and there's, like, a bunch of his henchmen, and then he basically, he, he sings a song. There's a couple songs in this. There's a few songs in this movie. Uh, but this one is basically, this song is all about him uh, and about how he's like the best, he's the best, uh, the best criminal mind and everything. His whole plan is basically to 
uh, usurp the queen and become the ruler uh, of all of Maustum. Uh It's a very classic plan. You know, take over the lead and or remove the person in power, put someone else in power, or like put like, uh, I guess in this case, it'd be like some sort of automaton in power, but ha- basically it be you. You know what I mean? Like it's a classic plan. Uh, it's a classic <laughs> evil villain plan. And it's fine. They sing a song about Radigan, how he's the best and how he's the smartest and blah, blah, blah. But then one of his little henchmen makes a mistake by calling him a rat. And then he's like, oh, no. Oh, that was having such a good time. And then he rings a little bell. He has a pet cat. This cat shows up. And then he feeds his henchmen to the cat. It's very dark. This movie is dark, you guys. It's very scary. Any hoozles. So... Basically, uh, Radigan brings uh, his henchman over. Fidget is the name of like the bat. And he hands him a list of shit that he needs to collect. He needs to collect uniforms, tools, gears, and the girl. Uh, just to kind of have her present, you know, as a bargaining chip or whatever. And so the bat's like, yeah, 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 boss. And so he goes. And so while they're discussing, and so cut back to Basil's place. While they're discussing this plan and what's going to happen, uh fidget shows up like flashes at the window and they're like go get him let's go find him or whatever and so they uh they run outside but he's gone by that point so instead they think uh or basil gets an idea and so instead what they do is they head upstairs they head upstairs to the actual loft of sherlock and they head in and you can hear sherlock and home or sherlock and john talking to each other and Holmes is like, come along, Watson. It'll be great fun. They're heading to like the theater for some music or something. And Watson's like, but it's so dull. It's so very funny. I love it. It's, it's very them. And it turns out that Basil has actually trained Sherlock's pet basset hound to be a tracking hound, which makes sense because he's a basset hound, right? So, uh, but it's funny that Basil has like trained the dog to listen to him. Uh, we see, however, that... Uh, the Basset Hound, Toby, uh, does not take too kindly to Mr. Dawson, but takes very warmly to Olivia. Olivia and Toby get along swimmingly, and so Basil like presents uh, the beret that Fidget had dropped to Toby so that he could find it, and then the game is afoot, and they rush off, and they end up at a, a human toy store. So after they tracked it there, uh, a little bit of investigation occurs, and we find out that Fidget has actually been taking the uniforms from the Tin Soldiers and has stolen the, the clockwork mechanisms for a bunch of dolls and other toys. Uh, he's he's hiding because he, he hears Basil and the group uh, show up, and Basil and Dawson and Olivia are all sneaking around. They're all kind of like figuring shit out. Olivia is being a child, of course, and, like, accidentally triggers one of the toys. Basil gets very upset. Uh, But then Fidget finds them. They get into a scuffle. Uh, Fidget drops the list and then takes Olivia. A scuffle occurs. Fidget ends up escaping with Olivia. Um, And then Dawson and Basil head back to the house uh, to regroup. Upon returning to the house... It is, uh, it is discovered that uh, Dawson actually found the list. And so 
uh, Basil takes the list, does a bunch of like detectiving with like chemicals and stuff like that. Finds out that the list uh, was, uh, I guess, in like written like it it was. The origin of the list is somewhere near the Thames in like a really seedy part of the area, and so they disguise themselves uh, as like sailors, kind of like really seedy sailors. Cut back to Radigan's uh, lair, and Fidget shows up with the girl. Radigan's excited about it. He shows the girl to uh, Mr. Flaversham. Mr. Flaversham is all happy about it, but, you know, there's still the the looming danger, right? And so Flaversham's like, fine, 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 I'll, I'll finish, I'll finish. I'll finish this robot that is, you know, easily like 100 years ahead of his time. Uh, <laughs> uh, and so they put Olivia inside of a bottle to keep her safe or to keep her secure. They, uh, Radigan finds out that Fidget had actually lost the list because Basil's on the case. Radigan gets pissed, but then realizes, oh, if that's the case, if Basil's on the case, then that means he's going to come here, basically. And so, yeah, presumably this is the con- conclusion that he comes to. So now they're all, so now everything's fine because he's kind of figured it, he knows what's going to happen. He knows Basil's going to come to the, come to the, to, to the lair. So he just sits and waits. Now, back, uh, back at the house, they discover everything. They head off to the to this this like seedy part of the Thames, where like other like rough mouse people, rough mouses, you know, go. It's like a rough part of town kind of thing. Uh, they're disguised and everything. Uh, they show up at this place. Uh, they try they try and be secretive, but you know they don't do a very good job. Uh, there's a fun musical number again. Uh, Dawson and Basil ask for beers, but of course they ask for Radigan as well, and so they end up getting their stuff like drugged, and then uh, Dawson finishes the drink in one go because he doesn't know what the hell he's doing, and while he's drugged, he goes up like on stage and dances with some of like the performers, and then like falls and like a he falls on the piano, the pianist like knocks someone else, and then a bar brawl happens, but. Basil notices Fidget at the bar, tries to follow Fidget. Fidget's disappeared. They find the trap door behind the bar. They go down. They discover that this is actually the the direction to the secret lair because they see Fidget going through some pipes. So they follow Fidget. They follow Fidget. And then they end up in like, uh, I it's it seems like a, like a, in like a really uh, undercover back alley kind of thing. But basically they end up there. They find the bottle. They find what looks like Olivia in the bottle. They go to the bottle, and surprise, it's actually Fidget. That moment, the moment when Fidget turns his head and, like, grins, that giant, creepy, toothy grin at them, that shit scared the fuck out of me when I was little. Like, there are moments in this movie that they're so fucking scary. Like, they're scary. It's wild. Anyway, once the surprise happens, boom. Everybody comes out. It's like a big surprise party. There's a whole, there's a banner that says, welcome Basil. Like they knew he was coming. They knew he was coming. So, uh, Radigan, like, uh, basically mocks Basil and is like, haha, like you were 50, I expected you 50 minutes sooner. You're losing your touch. The better mind won, blah, blah, blah. And Basil just kind of gets into his own head. He gets all upset about it. So they tie them up and Radigan's like, I thought of so many ways to kill you, but I figured why not use all of them? And so what he does is he basically straps them both 
both uh, Basil and Dawson to effectively a Rube Goldberg machine. Like they're tied to like this mouse trap, but the idea is that there's a marble going to come down. It's going to trigger one thing. Or no, it's going to trigger the mouse trap. They're going to get caught. And then they're going to get shot by a gun. They're going to get sliced by an axe. They're going to get squashed by an anvil. And then a photo is going to take. And then they're going to get a photo taken of themselves all dead, you know, for Brad against uh, posterity. Uh, posterity, I suppose. And then he even sets so what, to trigger this whole trap, he set up like a record player and apparently made a record specifically singing a goodbye to Basil. And it's very funny and very silly. So they let them so they leave them there. Radigan goes off to Buckingham Palace because it's celebrating the Queen's uh, Jubilee, which is 60 years. So there's a big celebration at Buckingham Palace. And so Radigan goes with a bunch of the henchmen to the palace. Uh, and this is where we see the plan start. So the plan kicks off. There, there's the queen. There's the mouse queen sitting in her dressing room getting all ready. And they get, she gets a knock at the door. We find out it's, you know, Fidget with some of the other uh, guards who are dressed as guards. So they're in disguise. And they bring in the box. And the, in the box is the robot version of the queen. Right, because that's the plan. The plan is to use the robot version of the queen as, uh, like, as a scapegoat, so that Radigan can effectively rule. So they capture the queen, they set all this up, uh, and yeah, and so they they tie they they capture the queen and they're gonna feed her to the cat. So all all that's going on, cuts back to Basil. Basil is still feeling super shitty about himself, and so. Dawson eventually just like snaps him out of it. He's like, just like, fine, you want to die? Then let's just set off the trap already. And that's when Basil gets an idea. He's like, you know what? That's a good idea. And so he kind of does some mental math and the record is still going. And finally the record stops. It pulls, it pulls the thing, it pulls the thing that lets the marble go. So the marble is going down and Basil's like, wait for it, wait for it to when to trigger the trap. And so he's like, and now triggers the trap the thing falls and it lands on the marble which effectively saves their lives and then it kind of like snaps and it like you, you know how sometimes mouse traps will like snap and they'll bounce so it like does that the gun goes off everything everything is going off but it's going off in such a way that it's not killing them the axe comes down chops the thing in half breaks apart the trap so both basil and dawson are like flying out and then the anvil slams and then they're all okay. And then, like, somehow, for some reason, the bottle that held Olivia, like, bounces, pops open because she pops out of it. And then Basil catches her. They all get together. They smile. And then the camera goes. And they're like, cheese. It's very funny. But, like, the whole thing happened so fast. And it was very fun. It was, it was like, holy shit. It was very cool. Effectively, they escape. So everyone's fine. <laughs> and so now they figure... Uh, that's when they figure out, oh shit, the queen's in danger. And so now they head off with Toby. Uh, they rush off to Buckingham Palace. Um, at this point, uh, a bunch of like people who were invited to the palace for the Jubilee are standing there waiting for the queen to arrive. The queen shows up, of course, it's the robot queen. And then she basically announces that Radigan is going to be like her viceroy, I think is the word. Um, and so then uh 
Radigan shows up with like a bunch of medals that I don't know where the hell he would have gotten them from anyway. And so he's like, thank you, your majesty, whatever. And so he's, I have some, no, I have some, uh, special requests. He unrolls a giant scroll item one and starts reading a bunch of shit that like, he's going to like in, uh, like a new, new rules that he's going to instigate, uh, instigate into mousedom or whatever. So he does that, which is very funny. Uh, and then while that's happening, uh, we see Mr. Flaversham is the one controlling the robot and speaking the words to mimic the queen. Uh, Toby shows up, uh, scares the cat away right before she, uh, the queen's going to be fed to the cat. They rescue the queen. They show up and they take out a bunch of the uh, a bunch of the henchmen and save uh, Mr. Flaversham. And it's very cool how they do it because it's like uh, Radigan like asks the queen the quote unquote the air quote queen question. And it's silence. And then he's like, he like hits it. And then it triggers again. It's like, oh, yes, yes, yes. And then starts speaking to her. Or the queen starts speaking to Radigan. And then starts like insulting him. He's like, what the hell's going on? And of course, we discover that Basil is in control of the robot. Uh, and then we discover, or and then Basil makes it known that, haha, Radigan, like, oh, the this is not the real queen. It's a fake queen. It's like a robot. It starts breaking down and everything. And then Radigan escapes, of course, with Olivia. And so uh, Basil, Dawson, and uh, Mr. Flaversham all chase after them because uh, Radigan, Olivia, and Fidget are like in this dirigible, like this pedal power dirigible, and they're flying away. And so Basil, Dawson, and uh, Mr. Flaversham gather a bunch of balloons together and they float up. And, and then there's like a chase that happens which is very fun uh, until they finally get to uh, Big Ben Tower. So once they get to Big Ben Tower, this is where things get pretty intense. So uh, the dirigible, or sorry, Basil jumps from the little balloon that they're in into the dirigible. The dirigible crashes into Big Ben and, uh, and inside we get a good we get a shot of like a bunch of the clockwork of big ben now the clockwork of big ben in this movie is uh is done in uh 3d so it's all super very like computer it's cgi basically uh which is very cool because this is the first disney film to extensively use computer animation uh, the previous film used a little bit of it, but like this is the first time we actively see CGI happening in a Disney movie, and it's in the clockwork, and it's very, very cool. Uh, apparently, uh, some of the animators spent months designing the interior of Big Ben, uh, with each gear being produced as like wireframe graphics on a computer. So like very, 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 very basic stuff uh, is very, very cool. Uh, like they were given. Uh, permission to go in and like uh, look at everything and uh, and sketch a bunch of the uh, a bunch of the clockwork. So it was very very cool. Anyway, so what's happening is that like Radigan is getting super pissed and finally he becomes like a big big rat. He's got like his claws out. He's got he's like looking super scary. Uh, Basil is trying to save Olivia from getting crushed by gears and like he's flying up in some chains. Radigan is like climbing across gears and shit. And then, like, Basil is, finally gets outside and, like, passes uh, Olivia off to her father. 
Radigan comes in, tackles Basil down. There's a big fight happening on, like, the clockwork arms and shit. And, like, it's getting super, like, intense. We're like, oh, my God, Basil's getting his ass handed to him. Because, of course, Radigan's a giant rat with giant fucking claws. And he's just slashing and slashing uh, until finally uh, the clock uh, chimes. It chimes the hour. And then everyone's like, oh, fuck. Because, like, Basil and uh, and Radigan fall. They both land on the dirigible that's, like, still hanging from the glass of Big Ben. And then they fall. And it's very much an homage to uh, one of the last story, one of the last um, uh, Sherlock stories called The Reichenbach Falls. Which, in the story of The Reichenbach Falls, it's ba- it, it's very much the conclusion between Sherlock and James between Holmes and Moriarty it's the final climax the two of them are like literally on the edge of a cliff and they both fall off the cliff uh at uh of this waterfall and the assumption is that they both die however it is discovered within the story that Sherlock actually survived now of course this is uh this is kind of discovered later on but in this story they this whole sequence is very is very much an homage to the Reichenbach Falls, which I can appreciate, and I think it's very cool. So this happens. Uh, so they both fall. We both think, like, there's thunder, there's lightning, there, it's a storm, and we're all like, oh, God, oh, no, what happened? Suddenly we hear this squeaking, and everyone, pa- and it looks down, and it pans down, and we see Basil, who's, like, furiously pedaling on, like... <laughs> the pedal power, the pedal uh, section of the dirigible, which has a little propeller, and it's the only thing that's keeping him from falling. (laughs) Which, this never would have fucking worked. But you know what? Whatever. It's fine. And so, yeah. And so that's what saved him. And then, finally, uh, we head back to, uh, we come back to um, uh, 221B and a half, and everyone's having some tea. Everyone's chilling. Uh, Olivia and Mr. Flaversham are thanking Basil for everything he did. Uh, it's all a nice, happy ending. And then the two Flavershams kind of go off on their way. And then Dawson is like, well, I guess it's about time I leave too. And Basil's like, oh, really? Do you have to? And Dawson's like, yeah, I guess I kind of do. They come to the door, and there's a woman at the door who's like, oh, I must find Basil at Baker Street, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, Basil kind of comes up. He's like, yes, yes, yes. This is, I am Basil Bakersheet. And this is my trusted, uh, uh, what does it call him? My trusted associate, uh, Dr. Dr. Dawson. And then Dawson's like, oh. And Basil's like, if you'd like to be. And they're like, yeah, sure. What the hell? Sure, let's work together. It's fun. It's great. It's very cute. It's very sweet. Um, and then, yeah. And that's basically how the movie ends on, like, with the beginning of another adventure. And it's very fun. And then this is where we get, like, that ending, uh, the ending narration by Dawson, who's basically like, and then my life changed kind of thing. Yeah. And that was it. It's a very, very fun movie. It is so fun. I really dig it. Especially if you're, like, a fan of Sherlock Holmes and everything. Like, this is just a fun kind of, like, Disney-fied animated version of it. And uh, I really liked it. I thought it was very, very fun. Uh I believe this movie was like the so at the time the studio was doing like this A movie B movie type deal. Uh, I think at this time A movie was Black Cauldron, this was the B movie, uh, and so it's interesting that this one kind of like uh, succeeded better, if that makes sense. 
because it did because the budget of this movie was only 14 million dollars which is crazy and then in the box office it made 38.7 like this movie was effectively a success like this movie basically flipped the studio right because with the previous movie the black cauldron effectively in a box office bomb and then this movie happened and everyone was like fuck yeah so it's interesting to see how just one movie can can kind of flip things around like that it's very very interesting so yeah all in all i fucking love this movie it's great i give it like maybe an eight or a nine out of ten this is a solid film like it's 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 neither too long it's not too short everything happens it's perfectly timed in my opinion uh it was great it was great i loved it now the funny thing is is that apparently the intended release was set for christmas of 1987 Michael Eisner slashed the project projected budget pro, uh, words slashed the projected production budget at twenty four million dollars in half, where it was greenlit at ten million dollars, and moved the release date up to July nineteen eighty six, giving the production team one year to complete the film. So, like, that's pretty crazy. Like, they didn't have a whole lot of time, and yet they still succeeded. Like this, this movie is great. This movie is very, very fun. So, yeah, watch it. It's great. And again, the music is super fun. Uh, like, even some of the songs that occur in the film are also very fun, too. Like, the Radigan song is very fun. There's a song that is sung in, like, the, the CD bar that they go to by, like, um, by some random uh, lady mouse who's, like, the idea is that she's, like, a cabaret performer, so she sings for, the, for, for everybody. Uh, the song she sings is very fun. And then even the song that is done uh, for Basil by Radigan while he's waiting for him to die, like that song that he recorded that's on the record, even that one is very fun. And actually, if you go through the credits at the end of the film, at some point, they sing the song like the like the I guess who are they like they're the the Disney appointed chorus, I guess, like the people who sing in the Disney films and stuff. Uh, they sing a version of that song, and it's very fun. Yeah. So all in all, like, a great, fun movie, and I highly recommend it, and you should definitely check it out. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Great Mouse Detective. Woo! Yay! <sighs> okay. All right, everyone. So, next week. Next week, I'm so excited, because next week is, guess what? It's Oliver and Company. Now we're getting back into the musicals because Oliver and Company, I would definitely consider a musical. It is so good. I love this movie. I love Oliver and Company. It's so fun. It's so fun. I I don't know why people don't like it more. It's great. Anyway, so next week is Oliver and Company. I'm very excited for that. And then, oh my God. Oh no. Well, I'm going to, so, okay. So <laughs> I'm kind of jumping all over the place. So I'm going to take a look uh, and see what other big name movies came out during the Bronze Age, similar to how we looked at the Silver Age and, and saw that Mary Poppins came out during that time. So I'll double check the Bronze Age. I'll see if there's anything there. But if not, if there's nothing a quote unquote, you know, worth noting, then we jump into the Renaissance. June starts the Renaissance. And I am so excited. I have been waiting for this since the beginning of this podcast. 
I am so excited. Okay, but first, we got to do Oliver and Company next week, and I'm very excited for that. I hope you all are too. And yeah, until then, I'll chat with you all later. Make sure you drink your water, eat your food, take your meds, all that jazz. Love yourself. You're great. Bye. Bye.